Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. Well, everybody, thank you guys for joining in our inaugural event to try to use LinkedIn Live for what we used to do in Clubhouse. I did make a read-along deck for this presentation. So if you go to civicinitiatives.com slash nextgen, then you'll see what TJ and I will be speaking from. TJ and I were both speaking at the Mesa conference about a month ago, and we basically gave two versions of the same speech and said we should put these together. I was giving a speech called It's Go Time, which is where I talk about the need and intensity to really think about the kind of jobs we're creating for people. And in the course of my speech, I asked a couple of questions to which teed up TJ's speech that made it very clear that we were talking about a very hybridized topic. So that's what we're going to do today. So I'm Dustin Lanier. I'm the founder and principal consultant at Civic Initiatives. I'm a certified public procurement officer, and I do a lot of content here as well as just generally maintaining it on the web. So TJ, say hello to the people and tell them about your path to the city of Phoenix. Good afternoon or good morning again to everyone. Again, my name is TJ Martin, and I have served as the chief procurement officer for the city of Phoenix for, it's only been two and a half years. But in that time, we have experienced a lot of growth and a lot of change. And with the onset of the pandemic, it required us to start thinking differently. So prior to my arrival here, I practiced law both in Arizona and in Texas, which I am a native Houstonian. And so I found myself back in uh, Phoenix because we lived here previously and uh, we came back the family came back and I uh, was working at the city of Phoenix for literally 60 days before the pandemic struck <laughs> and the city of Phoenix was as large a city as it is procurement um, like I imagine with many other municipalities or jurisdictions and in, in the public realm we were still operating in the kind of, I'm just going to call it old-fashioned way. You know, I was still signing contracts with pen and paper before uh, the pandemic. We only went to an electronic signature once everyone went home. And um, so it just led us to start um, to conducting a SWOT analysis to see what we can do to improve procurement for uh, the city of Phoenix. And, and one of the reoccurring themes was our inability to fill our positions. And, and, and so we just had to start thinking um, critically about how do we fill these positions with qualified candidates. And what I started learning was that, you know, th there were no people with uh, public procurement experience. So our job descriptions were, um, were requiring this and no one was meeting the, the mandatory requirements. And so, mm -hmm. you know, yep. I, I, I connect with Dustin and <laughs> here we go. Yep, well, great. And if you're wondering why you can't see TJ, it's because she was having technical difficulties getting into the LinkedIn thing. So she's on speakerphone and the show is going on. So TJ, what I did was I spliced basically the first couple of slides of your deck and then four or five slides of my deck and then the last couple of slides of the conclusion of your deck. So we're talking about why it's so important to really think about 
who's going to be in procurement and how we build those competencies and then how we build a pathway to those competencies. So you started out your thing talking about a statement of issue, the issue at hand. So now I'm in the deck. And so why don't you take the mic for a little while? No problem. And and as I just indicated, the issue was that uh, there are thousands and thousands of dollars, well, millions of dollars being poured in municipalities and if others or anything like the city of Phoenix, in order to operate, we require contracts and public procurement. And these things have to be competitively procured. And with the onset of the pandemic, there's just Many of us have even fallen into public procurement. I, I did a, uh, a survey at the regional conference, Dustin, I don't know if you recall, but I had people to raise their hand and tell me, how many of you majored in you know, purchasing or public procurement or is there anything? And I, literally out of maybe 50 people in, in the room, I think I had maybe two or three people and, and I'm made sure to say, I'm not talking about logistics. I'm, I'm not talking about supply chain. I'm talking about purchasing. And what we've learned is that there is no degree that I'm aware of, although I did have one staff who had um, majored in buying, uh, but that was in the late 80s. And, and so there, there just was no pathway to introduce people to this profession, yet we've got millions and millions of dollars being poured into municipalities requiring this service. And so we just come to learn that it was a critical, um, a critical need and we don't, we don't have a pathway or a pool of qualified candidates who can step in to take on these responsibilities. And so that was the issue. So we had to sit down and start brainstorming, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. And and, and, and that's what led me to sitting down with our HR department and try to figure out some things that we could do to help us identify people who would be interested and good fits in, into this profession. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I thought that you had an interesting statement is that, that the certifications that most people get, the B's and, and, the, and the O's and the NIGP, CPP, they inherently want you to have uh, experience. prior experience. So while they may help to credential people who've always already made a choice to be in procurement, there is a small blind spot as far as how we think about the folks who aren't yet in procurement. So I thought that was an interesting take. Yep. That's what I call the gap to certification, mm -hmm. because as you've stated, um, many of those require that individuals have worked in this industry, mm -hmm. uh, before being able to uh, obtain the certification. And, and so that's what we've tried to do with some of the things that we've implemented. How do we get those individuals to be prepared uh, for certification? And so we, we've, we've had a, a blast in, in, in accomplishing those tasks. Great, so I'll pick up and then we'll come back to some of the things that you're doing that are creative. So my speech on it's go time, I'm trying to say, at a meta level, the kind of situations that you were just describing that we are really aware of why it is so intense at this point to really think about these issues. So first, many people have heard the term the great resignation. Uh, it was heavy about a year ago. It still is around, although it's abated some with inflation and some of the changes in the job market. But you know, this one graph that I have, the orange line 
is the job quits in 2021 and all of the blue and the dark blue lines are all of the 20 years before it. So if anybody said, did this really happen? The answer was it definitely did. And it, and there's data that says that it's ongoing. You know, that's a picture from a Burger King uh, that said, we all quit. Sorry for the inconvenience. So that was part of our experience in the COVID era. But the actual that came out of that era that was more refined and more more true to cause was not the great resignation, but rather the great realignment that while 40 million people quit their job last year, the share of unemployed Americans who quit and immediately began looking for new employment rose to 15.9%. That's job leavers as opposed to people who are just quitting to go search for themselves. That was the highest percentage of the unemployed reported since 1990. And the median period in which Americans stayed unemployed is 8.3 weeks, which again is the lowest level in 20 years. So people weren't just quitting. They were they were having a, a conversation with themselves as far as, is this the job that I want to have? And how does it map to both my life goals and my work identities? So there was a lot of motion that was happening in general at a meta level. While private sector had recovered around 90%, the public sector in that period only recovered 53%. So it was it was more acute in government the next slide I pulled was that job mobility for people in procurement was suddenly a thing that procurement in many cases had never been allowed to leave the building. But then during COVID, we left the building, we functioned from our kitchen tables. Uh, and then now, even when some governments want to say, well, it needs to be full back to work, full in, if people are offering work from home or hybrid situations, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a challenge for procurement to think about about what kind of jobs are we creating for procurement and how do we understand the kind of things that are happening in procurement. I also talked about different things motivate different generations. And this is something that TJ talked about and she'll pick back up on when I hand the mic back to her. But it's really important to understand there's different motivations for how people think about work. So um, baby boomers are at the age that they're in. They're interested in job security and, and leaving legacy. They came from an era where um, there was a particular style and shape of work, and that's their expectations on what work is. Gen X is going to be uh, somewhat more focused on life-work balance, on being able to, uh, they've had access to technology, they were early in technology, and so they have more connection and understanding. Your Gen Ys and Gen Zs, who are you know the next ones up, they grew up with technology. They grew up with iPads in their car seats. And so they're very interested in freedom and flexibility. They're digital natives. They have a very strong understanding of it. And then they came up in some of this, this era. So they're looking for experience sets. And what I said in the speech that I gave is if the people on the left are making all the jobs for the people on the right and the people on the left have a concept of what work is that is not embraced by the people on the right, then they won't necessarily seek to take those jobs. And for procurement, we have to really think about what is it going to take to build a message about procurement that's going to attract this next generation. We don't just want to depend on the fall-ins, which you know we all have those cliches um, about falling into procurement. We have to think about how we design work that's going to attract people, give them exposure, give them opportunities, and really grab onto them. So the last slide that was from my deck so when I was speaking and I was giving some challenges on ways to think about this problem and what to work on, I had this one picture that said, you know, one of the four things you could do was 
go explain procurement at a career fair. Like if, if you had to get out into the world and talk about procurement to younger people, could you make the jobs positions compelling? Could you give young people a job that sounds like it's a career and makes a difference? If you had to compete in the marketplace instead of waiting for an applicant, would it change your supply? I was at the NPI conference and uh, Maria Rue, I'm sure I'm mangling her name. I apologize. She had a very irreverent presentation on what she's doing, similar to this kind of conversation to try to bring it up. They made a sign for their booth that was, what the heck is procurement? Like specifically trying to build some irreverent thing. And they said they got more people coming across saying, well, what the heck is procurement? Just by changing the language and thinking about how to communicate in a different level. So we need to get procurement on the list for some of these people as how we think about it. TJ, any thoughts on that last little segment? And then why don't you pick up and keep taking us forward? Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. If those who are in power have identified that procurement is a profession that requires individuals to be in the office um, five days a week, eight hours per day, and then there are others, whether in the public sector or other professions that are allowing full-fledged telework options, then one of the benefits of public employment, period, has always been work-life balance. Then we start losing that one edge that we mm-hmm. had over private industry. And, and so we, we've got to rethink procurement and that's really a difficult um that's a difficult task to get people who've been in in this industry or even in public government for decades to start thinking of a different way to attract needed talent or to even just bring us to the table to see us as uh critical partners in in the operation of uh, public sector government mm-hmm. um, and and you're absolutely right where we have now entered with multiple generations in the workforce there are uh, competing motivators and not everyone will be motivated by by the same thing and, and you can kind of see that in in, in my staff uh, those of us who've been around a little bit we don't mind being in the office because that's actually what we're accustomed to although it is an option that we have implemented uh, not full-time telework but we are offering multiple days during week um, to those who are interested even after returning from 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 the work from home mm-hmm. stand. So uh, we're trying to think of those things and, and, and some of the things that we've yeah. been doing. Well, I forgot to mention that when we were on this slide in my deck, TJ, and I asked people in the room, does anybody get out and talk to people? I don't know how many people are in the audience. It was probably 150. It was a big auditorium. And you were the only one that raised your hand. And I hadn't actually had a chance to meet you by then. And so I talked to you a little bit while I was on stage and you're basically like, that's my speech in three hours. So, uh, uh, so it was really, it was fun. And, uh, and then I was really impressed with some of the stuff you're doing in Phoenix to try to, to really create a pathway in for young people to be interested in procurement. And I think the story is super interesting. So why don't you pick it up and take it on? Exactly. And that's exactly how it happened. And um, so when I arrived and noticed that I was looking at a 30% vacancy monthly, and that was on the light side, that was on the, on the low end, um, 
I was, what do I do? So I had an opportunity to meet one of the professors over at ASU. And uh, so he started inviting me to speak at his class every semester and just kind of walk through what, what does it mean and what am I doing. We also implemented an internship program as a result of that, and we've had great success with interns staying on after graduation. I think I have three individuals who are now either uh, senior buyers or uh, procurement officers um, after having um, graduated from the university to stay on full time. And then I currently have an intern right now uh, who is really excited about what he's learning. And he had been a finance major and confessed that he didn't know anything about procurement. He just applied for an internship in, um, in the finance department at the city of Phoenix. And he um, was assigned to our group, and he's been there since last summer and, and is loving it. And every, um, every semester, I go back to HR to continue to add funds to his purchase order so we can keep him engaged and keep him interested. So in addition to talking to students at the university, um, we, we, we went to the temp agencies, and we started identifying individuals and professionals uh, who had similar um, skill sets that transitioned well to procurement, like paralegals and individuals who had gone to law school and for whatever reason had practiced. Uh, we were our, our, our people who were licensed in other countries and who'd come um, to the United States and had not completed the requirements to practice in a particular jurisdiction. Um, I've got uh, retired teachers who make for excellent um, uh, procurement professionals. So we started trying to expand how we were looking at the skill set as opposed to the experience. Mm. So we transitioned that discussion. And so by being able to go to the temp agencies, um, I, I was able, I don't want to say circumvent anything because I hate when people try to circumvent the procurement rules, but I, did, I wasn't bound by those um, very dated job descriptions. So I was able to bring people on um, as a temp, and then they gained the experience. So when I then posted the job, they had more experience than anyone else, and it was logical that I was then able to, to bring them on full time. And so I've had great success in using that. But still, these things weren't enough. I, I would, and, and the city of Phoenix has a decentralized procurement process, so we have certain departments were responsible for procuring their own goods and services. And no soon as I would get someone trained and ready to go, because from central procurement, we support all 34 city departments, then I would get someone from one of the uh, self-support, is what we call it, self-support departments, to attract um, uh, and, and, and just what I call pilfer one of our central procurement staff, because they would go from supporting the entire city to supporting, you know, one of five or six departments. And so the workload looks quite different in, in, in a single department as it does for the city of Phoenix. So I started making noise to our HR department and said, 
what's going on? Central procurement needs to have a separate designation from mm. the non-centralized departments because otherwise I'm going to continue to lose people. So after months and not without great battle and fight, we were able to have the central procurement designation um, categorized um, or classified at a higher level than the uh, department. Uh, individuals. So mm -hmm. that came with a pay increase. Mm -hmm. uh, and so greater benefits and things of that nature. So we also sat down and in addition to that, because I had so much in cost savings as a result of the vacancies throughout the year, I was able to take that cost savings and make an argument that I needed to offer retention and sign-in bonuses. And so I was able to get my staff, even after they got a promotion to a higher classification, um, from a contract specialist position to a uh, finance central procurement officer position, they even got a $5,000 um, retention bonus. And that wasn't all. Sitting down with HR, we came up with and devised a plan to develop an apprentice program for public procurement. And I think this is going to be critical for all municipalities across the country uh, because as a member of the Arizona Capital Chapter at NIGP, I see localities of Mesa, Tempe, Glendale, every day I receive notifications about available positions, uh, procurement positions in these municipalities. Mm -hmm. So it's not limited to big city of Phoenix. My mm -hmm. colleagues in smaller cities are seeing the exact same issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm now working with an HR specialist and we'll be going to uh, the Depart Arizona Department of Economic Security and we've developed um, an apprentice, a three-year apprentice program that I hope will roll out after the first of the year where individuals with no experience will be able to come on and as long as they commit to the three years, at the end of the three years, they can obtain a certification mm -hmm. um, and they will gain on-the-job experience with pay starting at $60,000. And so this is hopefully going to be a game changer in the world of public procurement, not just for the city of Phoenix, but I'm sharing this here with mm -hmm. you and your listeners because if you're experiencing those same issues, then here is a surefire fire way for us to invest in and build that pipeline of future public procurement professionals. So we're really excited about it. Uh, the program will require that uh, we've identified 2,000 uh, hours of on-the-job training and education for each of the three years. After hitting certain milestones, those individuals will receive automatic pay increases. And at the end of the third year, if they uh, pass uh, a, a certification, uh, then they will get a significant bump and could be in excess of $70,000 in about three years. So we're really excited about this program. I actually had a meeting about um, finalizing that application uh, before we joined the call, Dustin. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited about all these things. And so I'm encouraging people, seek out interns, partner with your local uh, colleges or community colleges. Uh, I'm talking to Phoenix College now, which is part of the Maricopa County Community College system. Um, there, there are a number of things. Reach out. Seek those individuals who are seeking career changes. You'll be amazed at how many teachers right now want to come out of the classroom. And, and this is a great pool of candidates. 
But I think one of the things that you said best is how do we define or talk about what we do to make it sound interesting? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so that's the task. And I think that's that's going to be the next step for us. How, how do I how do I brand public procurement to make it sound sexy mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. people to be interested in the profession? But those are some of the things that we're doing, and, and we're having success. And hopefully it will result in us being more efficient. Uh, we're adding more technology in, into uh, public procurement and working with uh, other partners. I think um, I think Tile was uh, going to be joining us from uh, OpenGov. OpenGov, yeah, we're partnering with those guys to help us. And so we're really being very thoughtful in what we're doing at the city of Phoenix as the fifth largest city in the country. There's a lot of money that we need to spend here, and I need people with a skill set who are interested in a long-term commitment to a career that has career growth. I have entry-level buyers, senior buyers, contract specialists one, contract specialists two, not in central procurement anymore, finance uh, procurement officer, uh, finance procurement officer lead, uh, procurement officer, managers, uh, uh, project uh, special project administrators, and then the, the, a deputy and uh, assistant finance director. There is a career change in procurement. And so what we need to do is figure out how do we explain this to individuals that you can walk in and have a long-term successful career being engaged in very critical decisions being made about the infrastructure of the city uh, or any municipality or government agency. So Excellent. Well, uh, I'll add a little bit and then I'll ask you one more question. So when you talk about procurement in that professionalized zone, I mean, I had a speech for GFOA, uh, I don't know, three or four months ago, where in at one point in talking in front of several hundred finance officers, I was asked a question about procurement that was basically saying, could we do X without a procurement function? And you know, my response was, well, procurement is a professionalized function that needs to be at the same level at the rest of these because there are very specialized skill sets in truly doing complex RFPs and uh, spend analysis. Not, I'm not even speaking to just the raw grind of purchasing and requisition management, but there is a very large and fulfilling opportunity in procurement. And if the pathway to get people interested in that is to get them interested in core purchasing activities, and then raise them, there's always somewhere else to go in procurement, in my opinion. The, in the go time speech, I quote from uh, Jen Myers, where she was telling a story about how she became locked into procurement because she saw the fruits of her labor from uh, a press conference the mayor did and being able to see all the things that, uh, that she had helped buy that was then part of how the mayor was talking about the value they were bringing to citizens. And TJ, I think you said something to the effect of when you're talking to high school students, you, you say some, something funny, like I get to buy helicopters or whatever. What, what was your, what right. was your comment? And, uh, I'll miss removal. <laughs> so you name it, who gets to say that they bought rescue helicopters, uh, ambos as we call them uh, short for ambulance. And when I see a fire truck driving down the street or a police car or anything else that happens, I mean, I was in the incident response team um, meetings during the, the the crust of the pandemic, you know, trying to find masks and hand sanitizer. Um, 
we bought a building. I get to buy so many or be involved in buying so many things. Uh, during the pandemic, we bought a new uh, Phoenix 311 system that when I closed on my house, I got to register to get my water services turned on with what I purchased. So uh, getting to act, you're absolutely right, being able to see the fruits of my labor in everyday life and knowing that millions well, 1.6 million here in the city of Phoenix are are benefiting from my work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm giving a, a new speech next week in Louisiana um, where it's called um, Talking About Procurement. And basically the thrust of that speech is that we spend a lot of time in procurement talking to each other. And so we know each other's lingo and the rest. But then when we have to expand out our conversation to people who I either will never be in procurement, but are certainly want to be proud of what you do for a living or, or making that case to that, that college student or that high schooler about why this ought to be on the list that we have to change the way that we speak. And we can't just be comfortable sitting behind our job posting and hoping that someone will come. We have to be out and, and working in the field. So, um, uh, TJ, I'll give you one last opportunity to talk about kind of like how you're out in the field on that. And then, um, again, I'd encourage that if anyone out in the audience would like to jump in and toss a question, it's just the way that it works here. And don't feel shy on clicking the button. Go ahead, TJ. Well, I think like I mentioned earlier, getting out in those classrooms, being engaged in um, in the industry organizations like uh, NIGP and others. I engaged with the Harvard Kennedy School Government Performance Lab as a cohort in an organization that they did with the National League of Cities. And so I got to meet colleagues from Boston and um, St. Louis and so many other uh, jurisdictions who are having some of the same issues. And so that's what it means to be out and to be vocal and to talk about these things and the partnership that we've made Dustin, just talking to one another about the similar issues as you get to go out even more than I do I have, unfortunately I do have to spend some amount of time at my desk mm-hmm. uh, and in meetings but it's a- that's great we had a chance to speak together and just your energy and I think the creative stuff that you're doing I mean being able to say that you can go to somebody and say with this kind of commitment I will help you build a path to a career. Talk about like how you're talking to people who maybe don't have college degrees where you're saying I can give you a pathway to an actual, I thought that part was super compelling. Absolutely. Uh, that's important. You know, we, we want to engage people in colleges and for everyone. Um, and, and there are some very sharp people. And it was actually my intern who told me to go into the high school. He said, you have kids who are sitting in uh, honors or AP classes who don't come from families who support college, um, who want to go, but for whatever reason, it's just not in the cards for them to go. But they're driven, they're hardworking, they have a skill set. And so for you to be able to tap into that population, um, and uh, one of the universities here, 
Grand Canyon State actually uh, provides uh, free education to uh, former foster students. And, and that's probably next for former foster children uh, who've aged out of the system. They get free education. They get to stay on campus. So one of the next things that I'd like to do would be able to reach out to Grand Canyon State and say, hey, how can we introduce some of those students into my internship program? Again, show them because often it's these students who may not have a, a mentor to show them different options that are available. And when you get into a big city like the city of Phoenix where we've got parks and recreations, we've got finance and accounting, we've got audit, and every other department of housing and human services, you name it, once you get here inside the city, it's very easy to transition to something else. And we offer um, tuition reimbursement and uh, uh, development funds for you to take classes and obtain certifications. So there is definitely opportunities um, for people to be here and to grow. And that's what I want to do is be able to share those opportunities that are available. Well, great. Well, I really enjoyed your uh your energy and I definitely wanted to share a platform with you. Um, I think you have a lot of great knowledge and some interesting ideas in there. TJ, you're going to have to talk to your IT folks about getting access to things. I mean, you can't get access to Google drives. You can't, you can't get access to LinkedIn. Yeah, that's okay. You know, I can't be mad at them for trying to keep everything safe and secure. (laughs) I appreciate your ability to be agile and transition accordingly to accommodate me. So yes. Thank you so much. Yes. The show the show went on and I and it was great. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Have a good thank rest you. of your day.